Hello and welcome to Trending Pet Food, the industry podcast where we cover all the latest hot topics and trends in pet food. I'm your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, Lindsay Beaton, and I'm here today with Yvette Tiska, Vice President of Marketing at H&H Group North America. Hi, Yvette, and welcome. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having us in your podcast. In case you're not familiar with Yvette, here's what you need to know. She has over 20 years of experience as a visionary leader in product innovation, brand building, and consumer marketing. As the Vice President of Marketing at H&H Group North America, the international parent company of Zesty Paws, Solid Gold Pet, Swiss Wellness, and Biostime, she currently oversees marketing functions of all four brands. Originally from Venezuela, Yvette embraces her heritage and is a proud Latinx leader in her community. She was selected as one of the 2022 C-Suite Awards honorees, recognizing her as one of the Orlando community's top leaders and outstanding performer in their areas of expertise, as well as for their contributions and commitment to their professions in the local community. The Health and Happiness Group is on a mission to help millions lead happier and healthier lives. With the acquisition of Zesty Paws and Solid Gold under H&H Group's Pet Nutrition Care Pillar, the brands have been able to seize greater opportunities and provide transformative supplementation and pet foods to people and their pets worldwide. Yvette's multi-brand experience in the pet food marketing space is why I've brought her on today to answer this question. What is the importance of an omni-channel approach to drive pet food business growth? I want to start out by going over a little bit of history and get some foundations laid for how Omnichannel came to be and why it's so important right now. Before Omnichannel became such an important strategy in the pet food space, how did businesses decide which avenue to take when it came to selling their products? So I think at the beginning, there were very delineated channels for both brands to get to the consumer and for the consumer to be able to acquire products. So if we start with the brands, if you are a brand that had more expertise or access to retail, I think your first inclination would be to leverage that to launch there first. And you didn't worry so much about other ways in which people could buy. Same with if you were a brand that was more digitally native, your first inclination would be to use that to launch. Now, digital is relatively recent, you know, when you look at the history of retail, so the consumer journey was more one way or the other originally. So either you went to retail and purchased and online was not as developed as online developed and more avenues for online shopping came about, such as social commerce or just websites, Amazon. It became a little bit more blur, the line between where the brands were and the consumers could purchase. So now... There's more of a wherever I am as a consumer, I want to be able to find brands and products for me to purchase. I think that forced brands to have to provide one experience and one identity wherever the consumer was. And that is kind of the only kind of shopping experience that as a brand you want to be able to put out that the consumer doesn't even see the differences between where they purchase at retail or when they go online. So kind of a seamless integration of the brand messaging wherever they are. It's pretty clear that the internet was a huge stepping stone in terms of developing omni-channel strategy, whether it's people going to the big Amazon and Chewy or just e-tail versions of brick and mortar stores. 
can you pinpoint when the omni-channel strategy first became a key focus in pet food specifically? And how has it evolved into what it is today? That's a tough question. I don't know that I have a date, but if you look at pet commerce in general, you can track by Chewy, for example. Chewy was the first huge pet-centric retailer that was all digital. And I think that that is a huge milestone, say around 2017 or so. They were founded in 2011, 2017, they kind of controlled 50% or so of all the pet food in the U.S. If I had to pick a date, even though I don't know specifically when, that would be around the day when I would say pet became huge in the e-commerce space. So now you had an online retailer dedicated purely to pets. And I think that marks the pivoting point. I feel like there's been a lot of evolution since then, especially over the last few years, which may have accelerated some of what was already going on in the e-commerce space and in terms of people diversifying where they shop. What has that looked like for pet food, going from people having a specific place that they went to get all of their pet products to now people doing both a hybrid model where they get some stuff online, they get some stuff in the space, they're doing research online. They're maybe going into a store. It's not there. They get on their phone immediately and order it online instead to even things like subscription services for pet food and auto ship. There's been a lot of evolution. What has that looked like and how has it made everything more complex in terms of trying to figure out where your audience is at? So I think one of the biggest changes that happened was 2020. So 2020, obviously, it was impactful for everybody in around the world. For us in the U.S., especially in the pet industry, we saw the incremental number of pets that were adopted that year by people that were able to stay home and work from home and say, well, now I can have a pet. So I remember there was an article in the Wall Street Journal in January of 21, that said that the number of adoptions went from a three to four million pets adoption a year to about 12 million. So that the number of pet parents that for the very first time entered the pet world was just astronomical. There, in fact, there were shelters that were empty and people trying to drive miles to another state and other areas, so even of their same state, to just to be able to adopt a pet. So that's one thing. And in that environment, we did not have the choice to go shop wherever we wanted. We had to shop in wherever it was open. So maybe neighborhood pet stores were closed, but big retailers may have been open. Online certainly benefited disproportionately from that year. And people saying, I can't even leave to get my own food. I have to pick everything up from one retailer, whether that was Amazon or Chewy or any of the retailers.com sites. So that was a big change. And then once that happened, that shift in how the consumer shop, now they can go back to a hybrid normal. They can go to the store in certain times. They can shop and pick up in store in, in other times, which saw a huge growth through 2020 and 2021, all what is called buy online pick up in store. And then you have the regular retailer that you may visit because you want to have more information, more education. You want to be able to ask questions. And you're going to be better served in that sense when you go to the retailer or even neighborhood pet stores. So now we come back to, it's all about the consumer convenience. They are going to be able to purchase not exclusively, 
mostly in anywhere they want. So if I'm at the retailer today and I, oh, you know what, I need to buy pet food or pet treats or supplements, they're going to be able to make that decision right there and then. And then they may subscribe and get it shipped to them from an online retailer later. So I think each channel provides different benefits to the consumer and it's all about them and their own convenience as to where they want to make that purchase decision or when they discover the brands. Many, many times they discover brands at retail because they just happen to be passing by an aisle or shopping for something else. And that may or may not happen as easy online. I think as long as we can be present everywhere where they shop in some shape, way, or form, we'll be able to service the pet parents as much as we can. Let's talk about that a little bit more because I don't think anybody in the industry at this point is unaware of the omni-channel strategy. You'd have to be living under a rock to not know that an online presence and a physical presence are going hand in hand right now. But let's say you are a smaller to mid-sized pet food company. You have limited marketing dollars. You only have so much upscale that you are doing with your product. Maybe you're brand new. You can't be everywhere at once. How do you prioritize where to look for your audience? I think the first step is getting to know your consumers. So who are the people that love your brand? Who are the people that shop your brand? And what are the places where they want to find you? If you are a brand that started online, Amazon potentially could be a great outlet for you or a retailer like Chewy or your own website. Your own website is going to be the most that you can control and you can offer a brand experience, you can offer customer care, you can offer increased information and even ways for the person to navigate what products exactly to buy. You can have like a quiz, for example, or something like that on your side where you can guide the person through the purchase process. So knowing your consumer and their shopping habits to me would be number one. A lot of times people, especially in smaller companies, feel like they don't have all the resources to invest on research or on data. And there's many ways to find data within your own environment that is not costly. In fact, it may be free. Things like Google Analytics, the backend of your website, where you can see all the stuff that is happening. You can look at the backend of your social properties and see who are the people engaging with your brand online and on social media and kind of start carving that profile of your consumer and even talk to your customer service team. They talk to your consumers day in and day out. They answer chats. They'll be able to give you as well information about their shopping habits. So DTC online, if you're a brand that that's how you launched, I think it would be the best way to go. You can also, as a small brand, start at the pet neighborhood stores. Why? Because those stores are going to offer the most information and education, especially if you're in a new category, such as we were in supplements a few years back when Sesti Boss launched. Pet supplements were not a big category. People didn't even know it existed. So it serves you really, really well to be in a channel where you can ask questions and where the shop owner can provide guidance and education for you. And usually these neighborhood shop owners are trustworthy, are people that you always go to for your pet needs. So you're going to be more willing to trust this person in giving you the information about the brand. And then finally, if you're a big brand that has other products at big retail, to launch new products under that retail is the easiest. However, for small companies, it's usually the toughest avenue to go. Big retailers have more logistics and operations demand. The amount of inventory you would have to generate is huge. And you don't have as much 
bandwidth to fail. If you want to test things, you have to be successful day one. So if you want to test, if you want to try, I think online would be my first avenue, then small pet stores, and then big retailer once you've succeeded. There's a lot of talk, especially in the North American pet food industry, because it's such a mature market about how crowded the space is and how hard it is to stand out in the physical space, like on pet store shelves or in the grocery space or any of that. I have to believe that that's starting to happen in the online space as well, because you're just inundated. You do a search and it's just product after product after product. What are some of the challenges inherent in the omni-channel approach? Are there extra opportunities to stand out? Does it make it more difficult to stand out because you're now trying to cater to two completely different ways of marketing your product? How can companies navigate trying to stand out both in a physical space and in an online space when the marketing strategies need to be different just because the experiences are different? Well, that's a great question, Lindsay. I think part of maintaining an omnichannel presence is making sure your brand shows up appropriately according to each channel, but the brand strategy has to be one. So you're going to use different tactics and different tools at each environment to strengthen your brand equity and deliver the message that you need to. So I'll give you an example. You can have an end cap at a big retailer, and that end cap is going to have certain messaging and certain education, but for the most part, is not going to be crowded with all the information that you can bring. But you can have a QR code that can drive somebody to a product page where they can learn as much as they want from that physical space. So you can provide more information, but not necessarily on the actual end cap. Conversely, on the online side, you can have videos. You can have, again, a guided quiz to drive you through or guide you through that shopping experience, especially in categories that are new. I think what is the most important part is that the communication and the strategy has to be one and has to reinforce each other with different ways that the brand can express itself. I know that your brands are in pet food, pet treats, pet supplements. Are there any differences in dealing with those three particular segments when it comes to the omni-channel approach? Or are the approaches largely the same no matter which product you're doing, the pet space kind of works the same way with each segment? Part of what is important in the pet food category, for example, is the need to make sure that you communicate what is different about your food. Because at the end of the day, we're talking about, for the most part, kibble or some sort of a version of food for your pet. So why should the consumer pick you? And you have to be very clear and give the consumer one to two reasons why you're different and better than the brands that are on shelf with you. Now, pet food tends to have the same as treat, a lot of traffic through the aisle. So you're going to get very little attention, but you're going to be in a high traffic area if you're in a physical store. We have found that supplements is a little bit less of a high traffic area, tends to be with like puppy pads and nail clippers and things that probably you're going to only buy maybe once or twice a year. So the consumers, the pet parents that buy supplements tend to buy because of a condition. The majority of people say like, oh, my dog is experiencing, say, allergies or skin dryness. Let me see what I can find to help them. And that's what's going to drive them to supplements. While food, they always eat. So it's very high traffic. Now, online, 
it's a little bit different. People are going to be searching for pet food, to your point. They're going to be inundated with brands and brands and brands and brands. So it is important to make sure that, again, you provide that one or two things that why should they choose me? Brand relevancy, and that's where brand equity plays even a bigger role, where the consumer sees you on a small thumbprint of your brand or sees your packaging on the shelf. They have to be able to tie those two together. So consistency of brand expression to me is critical to be able to navigate omni-channel shopping for the consumer. Where do you think the omni-channel focus is heading? Do you think it's going to diversify even more? Do you think there are going to be some channels that are just going to come out as winners and we're going to settle down into some type of new normal where people have one or two places they go? What is the future of this fracturing of shopping options look like? In my opinion, I think we're going into even more diversification as more properties become shopping properties. One example is TikTok, who just recently became an e-commerce platform, right? Before it was only for just social content. And I think more and more new properties are going to come to the market that are going to become shoppable. And more people are just going to want to buy wherever they are. So social media influencers, as they share about products, they're going to want to have the ability to sell on the same property. And you as a consumer, you don't want to have to go somewhere else and click on another site where you lose that continuity of message. So I don't see this stopping anytime soon. If anything, I see it growing even more. And it has to be all again about consumer centricity, where the consumer is they're going to want to shop. I think it started a long time ago with Instagram. And when we saw the increase in shopping through Instagram, people were like, oh, this really has legs. And you're going to want to leave that environment. You just wanted to go to the shop of the brand in Instagram and make your purchase right there. That's, I think, where we're going to go. And I hear a lot of, oh, retail is going to go away. I don't think it's going to go away. I think retail is just morphing into something different. We've seen the buy online, pick up in store phenomenon grow tremendously and people now that both big box retailers have expressed in different articles that people actually do both they do some shopping in buy online pick up a store and then when they go to pick it up they actually shop the store as well to do some discovery treasure hunting so they end up with two experiences one digital and one at retail combining the same shopping trip they may not want to go and you know log a big bag of dog food around the store to get it to pick it up just before they leave. So it'll be kind of pre-shop for them, but they also want to have that time for themselves and that treasure hunting as of walking around the store and seeing different things that they hadn't seen before. I think that's the perfect merge of both the retail environment and the digital environment. So let's talk to the people who are listening, who are taking notes on this omni-channel strategy. They're planning on going back and taking a look at their company strategy and seeing where they're at. And they just drop their heads to their desk because you said TikTok now has an e-commerce space. And now they're wondering if they have to get on TikTok as well. Overall, what do you think are some of the key points that companies should focus on to stay successful in an omni-channel space? What are some of the things they really need to be focusing on right now, really need to review their strategy and go, okay, this is where I need to be. This is where I don't need to be. What do people need to do? The number one thing that 
I recommend people do on brands too is get to know your consumer. You have to know where they want to shop. If your audience is not on TikTok, then don't open the TikTok store. If your audience is all on TikTok, make sure that you have a TikTok store. If you start with your consumer, I think you'll be able to serve them where they are, at least to begin with, and then grow from there. Tell them, hey, did you know that we can also be here? As your audience grows, your brand omnichannel strategy can grow with your consumer. But I think a lot of times we get mesmerized by the shining object of, oh, TikTok is here. Let's go and open a store. Is your consumer there? Is your shopper there? Make sure you know those things before you spend the effort and time in growing a social property that may or may not be relevant to your shopper. So I think it sounds basic, but going back to your consumer and making sure that you know who you're selling to, to me is past number one. And then if I had to do one other thing is before you grow your distribution into different avenues, whether it's online or offline, make sure that you know what operation needs you're going to have to fulfill. If you're in a big box retailer, again, you're going to have to work on inventory, delivery dates, type of shipments that you have to do, whether it's on master cartons, number of units per carton. There's a lot of complexity that you may or may not be able to address. So you could say, hey, I can't be in this big box retailer today. So let's put it on the roadmap for three years when we, from an operations perspective, can service them appropriately. And then you can kind of grow your distribution with your capabilities internally. But at the beginning, again, center in your consumer, know where they shop and grow from there. A lot of strategies for success that have come out on this podcast and a lot of different topics really comes back down to know your customer. Seems like a pretty basic thing, but it can be really easy to become complacent you do a study and then five years later, you realize you haven't reevaluated your consumer at all and you have no idea where they're at. In this day and age with so many facets to the pet parent and where they shop and how they shop, what do you think is a reasonable timeline for how often you really need to sit down and reevaluate your customer? Is once every couple years enough? Is it once a year? Is it once every six months? Where are we at right now in terms of how quickly your customer can shift their profile from one place to another where they shop or from what their needs and desires are? And how do you keep up with that? If you have a website where you can sell like an, a DDC site and customer service, you'd be able to keep a pulse on your consumer on a real-time basis. For example, our customer service team provides a weekly report to the organization where we kind of understand the trends, what are people saying, what are people liking or not liking about their brand experience that we can address on the spot. The same with your website. You're going to have Google Analytics on the back end where you can go and say, okay, let me look at what my consumer is navigating, what pages are not converting, and you can adjust them very quickly. And that also gives you some demographics. If you wanted to do a brand health tracker to see how your consumers are perceiving your brand and where they're shopping, I know we do them at least twice a year. And it's not a huge investment. It's usually under $10,000 to do it. But that is more of a little bit of a medium to larger company to make sure that you have that. Otherwise, if you start with the data that you do have, whether it's customer service, again, DDC, or your social properties are going to provide you as well with engagement and growth of your property, you'll be able to start crafting that brand experience right then and there. 
So that would be my recommendation to evaluate it as often as possible using the tools you already have in place. Excellent. I think that is very solid advice. And I really appreciate you coming on to talk about all this today because there's just so much happening in the market right now when it comes to channel growth and expansion. It can be really hard to keep up with. And I think it's really important to keep talking about it so that we can make sure we're staying on top of whatever is going on at any given moment, because there really is just a lot going on right now and a lot of stuff has accelerated. So I really appreciate you being on to help me break some of this stuff down. Before we wrap up, I want to do a little plug. Where can people find you and find more information about H&H Group and about the brands that you're involved with? Well, I think the best place to go is our website, solidgodpet.com and cestipals.com. You can also visit our LinkedIn pages for Cestipals and Solid Gold. I'm very active on both of them, commenting and posting. So I'm sure you can find me as well in LinkedIn through our pages. Perfect. That is it for this episode of Trending Pet Food. You can find us on PetFoodIndustry.com, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at Trending Pet Food Podcast. And if you want to chat or have any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to drop me an email, podcast at PetFoodIndustry.com. Once again, I'm Lindsay Beaton, your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.